On a beautiful run through the park on a pleasant day, you can easily get lost. No, no, no! She didn't kill him. Huh? In your true crime podcast. It was the pool guy. So obvious. Whatever motivates you works for us. It's all about letting your run be your run. And Brooks is here for every runner, doing the research and sweating the details to create gear that works for you. It's your run. Brooks, run happy. Welcome to the Hockey PDO cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy Thomas Trans. Thomas, what's going on, buddy? Oh man, just wrapping my head around. It's not just this weekend either, right? Yeah. I'm wrapping my head around this weekend, but I feel like I'm wrapping my head around an off season where all of the dire warnings about the importance of cap space, yep, came totally true yes. over the course of the last three weeks of, of NHL business, like. All of a sudden, players are valued in this way in real time yep. that matches what I feel like at, at least the cap savvy and the analytics savvy among yep. the hockey commentary. Have been, we've been grading trades like this for like years, yep. but they haven't actually looked like the way we've discussed them. All of a sudden, they do. All of a sudden, they do. It was, I feel like this weekend almost in particular, and, and that Friday window where you get the Lion A signing, the Bjorkstrand trade, yeah. and then that Kachuk-Hubert-Omega deal right. was this moment where all of a sudden all of these principles about cap flexibility, about cost certainty, about sort of these you know highfalutin intangible concepts um, really sort of shaped the NHL news cycle. It was pretty mind-blowing. Yeah. I'm still stunned, right? Yeah, it's nice to see actions have consequences for once in, in the <laughs> NHL. Um, no kidding. Yeah, no, I mean, and it extends just in general, like it's even stuff that hasn't necessarily played out yet is a sign of that, right? Like we're kind of in this holding pattern right now where teams are still trying to figure out we've got some pretty big name free agents who are still, you know, we're still still trying to accommodate them. Are basically. still on the market or are they? Theoretically, <laughs> yes. They, their cap-friendly page says that they're still yeah. available, certainly. Yeah. Um, Okay, so they've all signed with the Islanders. We just don't know the details. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know the registry's backed up. They yeah, haven't, they haven't gone sure. through everything yet. It's been a <laughs> they're in the queue. It's been really nice weather out. You know, <laughs> out of office right now. Yeah. Um, so we were planning on doing like kind of like a last uh, free agency slash off season moves roundup. Anyways, and then this trade came on Friday night, and I was like, okay, well, this is going to be perfect timing for us. So I think we're gonna we're gonna just really unpack all that. There's a lot of stuff I want to talk about. No promises we're going to get to any of it other than this trade because I feel like it might just take us the full hour. So we'll kind of feel yeah. that out. Um, let's start with... Uh, let's start I think with the trade has some lessons, though, that pertain to some of the other moves we saw last week. So I, I feel like we'll naturally, you know, in, in classic catcher in the rye fashion, like digress into, yes. into some of those, oh. into deep Nino, Nino Niederreiter takes. Un undoubtedly. <laughs> All right. Let's start. Let's. This is a good entry for entry for us. The Panther side of the trade. So you yeah. and I Thursday, I believe, mm -hmm. to give people a, a behind the scenes peek at our lives. Yes. 
we're hanging out at the dog park, watching our dogs do really cute shit. Yeah. The way we, I think we typically do. Yeah. For at least two, three times a week. And because we have no lives, of course, we're talking about Matthew Kachuk and trades we'd like to see it and potential offers and, and this and that. And you floated an interesting one at me that yeah. caught my attention. And it was... Uyghur, Mackenzie Uyghur, Verhage, Carter Verhage, and Justin Swardev as like the prospect slash. Because I, young I piece, figured right? they couldn't possibly trade another first. Yes, <laughs> I underrated. I underrated just how L.A. Rams are. Yeah, the Florida how Panthers New York, are. How New York Knicksian. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, so that was th- that kind of caught my eye because I think I'd been so focused on the Blues component of it because it just feels mm-hmm. like kind of like the writing was on the wall for that, and so we we're trying to figure out what was going to go on there, and uh, and. It wound up being, you know, pretty, pretty astute of you. So I wanted to start off by buttering you up here and giving yeah. you a, a little bit of credit because well, you were on I, it. I wouldn't have assumed Huberto though, right? I, I would have thought, you know, the Huberto inclusion is so fascinating to me. Yeah. I'd sort of heard earlier in the summer that potentially the Panthers had, didn't even have interest in extending him. Like they, that wasn't something they seriously wanted to consider. Yep. And I kind of didn't really kicked the tires on it a ton, even though it came to me through my sort of Florida whisper network, the, 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 the palm tree yeah. network that I still have uh, from my time working for that organization. I just sort of was like, okay, I mean, that makes sense as something they'd view as high risk and, and sort of put it in my back pocket. I didn't assume that they'd act on it this off season, considering what this team is poised to do again next year. I mean, they were 122 point team. They were historically good. Yeah. Huberto was the third leading scorer in the NHL. I figured that's not a situation that you need to sort of move on actively. Now the Uyghur thing too, I'd sort of, I'm not the only guy who heard this. Uyghur's name was out there over the course of draft week in particular. Yeah. I think there was a, a sense that he might be available. I think that there's there was a sense that it was time to move on internally with the Panthers and their top pair left side defenseman who happens to be right-handed, a, an incredibly unique profile. You can't understand this deal, I think, without understanding that from Florida's perspective, neither of those contracts, like the next contracts that those guys sign are not contracts that Florida wanted. Yeah. Right? That, I, you Certainly. You cannot understand the deal without understanding that from the Panthers' perspective, they valued these guys for as one-season guys. Yeah. And the opportunity to pounce on a unique power-forward player type and lock that guy up from ages 25 to 33. Right? I mean, is there, is there a single year of Matthew Kachuk's next deal that you're even, like, nervous about from a declining... You know, from a from a inefficiency perspective, no, not really, no, not really. I yeah, mean, you're mining his entire. He's not going to get slower. <laughs> no, it's and, impossible. <laughs> and and with a guy like Kachuk, like I know Kachuk's a physical guy yeah. with great hands, yeah. but it's like what makes Kachuk special? It's that he's one of the smartest guys on the ice. Certainly, yeah. he's smart and yeah. a dumb. And way, he picks his but, spots too. Yeah. Oh, he doesn't just pick his spots. He hammers them. He nails them. Yeah. He's He's a genius. I, I mean, I just think there's no there's no inefficient season on that. Whereas with a Huberto extension, Huberto is going to be 30, right? Yep. Uh, the first year of his next deal. What, what year aren't you concerned about the inefficiency of it, right? I mean, it's just a completely different world. So Florida basically, I think, is really benefiting from the cost certainty of a unicorn-type player. There's really no other Matthew Kachuk in the NHL. Yeah. And they valued that uniqueness. They valued that cost certainty. They valued the window of it. 
they they got the clock right yeah. in terms of uh, adjudicating player value here, and yet it feels like the Calgary Flames well, pulled a rabbit out of the hat, let, right? Let's say we're, we're going to save the Flames side of this. Okay. I'm going to stick with, with Bandage for a second. Uh, Kachuk's a really good fit for them. Yes, and we're going to talk about that as well. How worried are you about Sam Bennett? No, okay, stop. <laughs> we'll stop okay, you right we'll there. there I, I, I want to hammer that point you made about the timeline and kind of the, yeah. uh, the contractual component of this. Sure. So it's funny because at the trade deadline, when they acquired Claude Giroux, I really was like, I was giving this a lot of thought because it seemed like the sentiment at the time was, oh, the Panthers are loading up for one big run here. And my kind of pushback to that was, why? well, if you look at their team, pretty much every core member is between 24 and 26 years old, except for Jonathan Huberto and Mackenzie Weger. Right. And... It's interesting that those are the two guys they strip from this. Obviously, the fact that they don't have term on their deal allows them to do so, or, or at least makes them feel more comfortable doing so. Yeah. Um, and then they bring in Matthew Kachuk, who's turning 25 this season, and they have him up until he's 32, so that's the entirety of his prime. Yeah. And, and that alliance, like, other than Anton Lundell, who's 20, pretty much everyone, right? Like, Barkov, uh, Berhage, Bennett, Reinhardt, like yep. everyone, Ekblad, yep. everyone in there is like 26 years old, basically. Right. And that is like a great position to be in as an organization because you're getting their best seasons. Yeah, you're taking five years. You have a five-year run now. Yeah. With with incredible cost certainty. And really, none of those contracts are any, like you don't look at any of those contracts as being dubious. Yeah. Right? I mean, they're all, do you remember, do you remember when Aaron Ekblad's contract was sneered at? Yeah. I mean, we're only like three years removed from that being the case, but that's a steal now. Well, would you would you agree that it's almost impossible in this day and age? Like, if you get a young player to sign a long term deal that keeps their number down from what it could potentially be, pretty much all those age well. I mean, like even, the Coyotes signed a few of them under Cheka that like didn't. Yeah, but for the most part, but even the ones that didn't, because you can get away from it if it doesn't work out. Like someone will take yeah. that player. Well, and also you can buy them out before the age of twenty five yeah. at one third. True. And, but I mean, even the ones that haven't worked out for Arizona, we're talking like Clayton Keller. Like you could get no, value and for he's Clayton he's a good Keller. player for sure. And you could and Nick Schmaltz, you could get value for Nick Schmaltz. I mean, even the ones that haven't worked out have, which I think makes your point. The other the other one that someone might throw out there would be Mitch Marner. Yep. But wouldn't you rather have Mitch Marner's contract and be Toronto than have Matthew Kachuk's contract and be Calgary? I mean, yeah, I, none I, of those bridges worked. Like that same summer that Mitch Marner signed the contract. Lionel got bridged since been traded. Debrinket got bridged since been traded. Uh, I already said Lionel. Yep. Uh, Kachuk got yep. bridged since been traded. Besser got bridged. Um, you know that was a kind of a, a, a train wreck in terms of like they. Yeah. It got pulled out of the fire, but the whole the whole situation unfolded in a, in a messy way. And then like don't sleep on the Timo Meyer ten million dollar qualifying offer story. Like yeah. that's going to be a big problem. That's going to end up in arbitration next summer. I think people underrate like how much of a headache it is for an organization to like have really good players that are UFAs to be, yeah. even if you're a good team that season and you're like, the goal is to win the cup that season. Yeah. Like it's impossible to get away from that story. Right. And even if they're a year out, like, it complicates things. Well, look at what Matthew Kachuk was able to do. Matthew yeah. Kachuk was able to exercise what, what Jalen Rose calls pre-agency. Right. Right. In, in the NBA context, yeah. a year out, he basically was able to force his hand, kind of pick his spot we all sort of we all sort of knew that he wanted to go to one of those low tax states with a playoff team, right? And yep. he was able to kind of drive the bus there. And, and you know, that's a really stark example that I think a lot of and not just Canadian teams, a lot of teams need to 
uh, sort of understand here because all of a sudden it's not like you're living in a world. In the wake of Kachuk, it's not like teams are living in a world where, you know, to take another example from from a player that I cover uh, in Elias Pettersson, yeah. right? Elias Pettersson has two years left on his deal. This is not a situation that you have to sort out in 24 months. It's one that could shape next offseason. Yeah. If the Kachuk example is any indication, which I think it has to be. Okay. Let's get back to the Kachuk fit here. Okay. I want to talk about him as a player. You mentioned he's a unicorn. I've seen that term thrown around. It should be, right? He's a unique player. There's just not a lot of guys who hit that much, score that much, are that annoying, draw that much, draw that many penalties without taking too many. Uh, like there's the power forward archetype. There's very few guys who actually do it year after year after year. Kachuk's one of them. Yeah. Well, players like him don't typically become available because players like him don't really exist. Correct. Yeah. Right. There's like six like of them. A 24 year old who just had a In career offensive season that's available. Uh, yeah. um, and you're right. A top line offensive talent who produces like one. So it's not like a theoretical, oh, this guy's got skill. Like we've seen him yeah. produce on the stat sheet like that. He's malleable and I think really important in this discussion to fit into any situation, right? I think you need the reason why he was so good with Johnny Goudreau was because Johnny Goudreau loved to carry the puck. And that's mm -hmm. something Matthew Kachuk, and it's a credit to him because he's a smart player. He realizes he doesn't have the foot speed to be trying to gallivant through the neutral zone yep. and, and do wild stuff with it, right? So he gets it and he quickly tries to get it to Goudreau or a faster skater, sometimes even like Rasmus Anderson, right? Yeah. And he tries to give it off to a better skater and then he can kind of at his own pace get to where he needs to be in the offensive zone yeah. and and that's a credit to him and an understanding of his own strengths and weaknesses and florida has a lot of guys like that right especially if he's playing with like barkov and verhage let's say on a line those are like two of the best guys in the league at entering the zone with possession and then making a chance happen off of it yeah so he won't have to worry about doing any of that um and so he can fit into all these different spots and then he has that, like, he checks every box in the sense that he has the offense, but then he has those, I don't want to say intangibles, because I think we can tangibly quantify, like, he gets people to take penalties against him because yeah. he's so annoying. Like, he takes a lot himself, at least most recently, but he's like... He still his, draws more than His he irritation uh, that he causes yes. is a tangible quality because it forces opponents to make dumb mistakes against him. It's good that he's in the division with Brady. Yes. Like oh. that's, you know, the fact that we're going to get four to five of those a year is perfect. I'm very excited. There's one picture in Getty Images from the one, when they were playing each other during the Canadian bubble yeah, yeah. where they're in a post-whistle scrum and both of them are like, there's like referees between them, but both of them have a finger like in each other's mouth or around <laughs> each other's face and then each have their mouth guards sticking out on the side and they're like, they're just doing annoying, they're like just, basically wet willying each other. Yeah, just like <laughs> renaissance art. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> I'm excited for that. The Kachuk, you know, it's interesting. I remember Kachuk in his draft year and it was hard to isolate his own offensive impact yeah. because he played with the U.S. National Development Team on the line with Austin Matthews, pretty good, no big deal, mm -hmm. right? And then went to the Ontario Hockey League for his draft-eligible season and, and was like the perfect running mate for Mitch Marner, yep. right? And, you know, I think we've seen now in Calgary, too, there's an element of his game that's in line with, you know, what I call the heavy press type, by which I mean, like, the less skilled guy that compliments... Yep. The skill, the more skilled players. This is uh, something that everyone has to have in the cap era, and these guys increasingly get paid, as you know, Zach Hyman's showed us, right? Yep. But Kachuk 
has his own elite level of skill, he just also can play that role. I don't know that anyone else fits that mold to me. I mean, I think you, you go down the list and it's guys like Timo Meyer. You know, Timo Meyer's really good, but he's not an elite offensive guy. Well, he is, but he's, he's more of a... What creates for himself more than like Kachuk's much more of a facilitator, right? Total. Kachuk, Kachuk, in terms of his overall offensive yeah, impact, right, is, right. is great on yeah. his team. I mean, yeah. right? Uh, you know, Tyler Bertuzzi, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm just saying. You go Hyman. You go down the list. Michael yeah. Bunting. You go down the list, and it's just like Kachuk is so clearly yes the absolute top echelon model of this super valuable player type. Yep. And the ability to plug him in with Barkov, I think. I mean, that sounds. That lines, especially especially Barkov's stride, like the power yeah. in his stride, uh, looks like it did the first half of last season more than right. the second half of last season. That line can do some really like crooked things in terms of the yeah. way they control play. Yeah, if his skating is hampered, and then you book a check on that as well, then I'd be worried. But I'm really not. Like I've seen people be like, "Oh, I'm, what, what's his foot speed going to look like in an Atlantic Division that's pretty fast?" And it's like, I think it'll be fine because totally fine. he. Doesn't put himself in a position in a position where it's an issue. He also can play fast. He thinks quickly yeah. enough that it's not a big. He's got fast hands. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like there's totally. elements of his game that. Now here's the one thing though that I'm worried about from a Panthers perspective. The Panthers have been and Bill Zito has been on until this deadline. Bill Zito was on this like PDO heater. Yeah. In terms of the trades that he made, every move. Like King Midas stuff, right? Everything he touched turned to gold. Yeah. For a, a, a few years. And then you get Sherratt, and then you get Claude Giroux, who is kind of a cooler. Yeah. I mean, look at that power power play in the playoffs, right? Like, Giroux was exactly what that team didn't need. I know he was their second-best player in the playoffs, yeah. but he just wasn't what that team needed by right. any stretch of the imagination. Sherratt was, a, Sherratt was bad there. Yeah. Sherratt was genuinely bad. Like, And then, you know— Well, he proved the limitation of that system. He did. He finally showed that someone I think Bill Zito was Florida. testing the outer limits to figure <laughs> out, like, you know, all right, I found the line. Okay, but one one of the gambles that the Panthers made that I didn't like at the time, because most of them I loved. Like, mm. I thought DeClaire was, even the ones that didn't work out, like Hinostroza, I was like, that makes sense. Right. You know? The one that I didn't like at the time, and then it worked, was the Sam Bennett trade. Yes. Yeah. And extension. And to be clear, I liked the trade, fine. Yeah. Bennett for two seconds, whatever, that's a worthwhile gamble to take. But to extend him off of 14 games with a high shooting percentage, I thought was really... You know, I don't want to use the word reckless, but premature. Yeah. Risky. And yet, that worked. Bennett mm-hmm. was fantastic last year. Well, it's one thing to succeed in the, on, an, on a second line on an elite team. Yeah. It's another to succeed as, like, a righty who's a decent finisher who gets to play with Jonathan Huberto, who for me is the best playmaking winger in hockey. I'm All apologies to Nikita Kucherov. I think Kucherov's a more dynamic dual threat mm. and, and a better player. But for me, in terms of pure passing ability, playmaking, right. Jonathan Huberto is the best winger in hockey. A qualitative take yeah. from me. Um, feel free to quibble with it. I know Gaudreau, Pan- Panarin, Panarin, there's arguments yeah. you can yeah. make. But for me, it's Huberto. I'm really worried that out in the wake of this trade... The Sam Bennett factor. How how much less is Bennett without Huberto to play with? That would be the one concern. Yep. The one big t- sort of fit concern that I have in the wake of this deal is I, I just the Panthers are still going to be so good. They have so many 
assertive two-way pieces, right? They're, they're, maybe they wanted to, to move away from the sort of skill game that a player like Huberto represented, mm-hmm. but they don't have a Huberto now. They don't have... They probably have enough offense overall that it's not going to matter, but they, I still think they're going to miss him a fair bit. Okay, here... And, yeah. and no one more so than Bennett. Yes. Well, okay, here's my question. It's kind of related to that. So, you know, Kachuk timed this really well in terms of maxing out his value. Mm. Uh, last year, he was sixth in points, 104 of them. Ninth in goals, 42. He was also third in five on five points, 64 of them. Uh, the combination of him, Goudreau, and Lano, I have it down here, outscored teams 73 to 31 at five on five. <laughs> Now, now, I mean, the, the, people aren't talking enough about how that season from that line, it was not just that they were the best line in hockey last year, right? Yeah. They were like the best line we've seen in hockey in absolutely five years yeah. at yeah. least. Well, okay. So relatedly though, here's my question. What's a reasonable expectation for Kachuk offensively moving forward? And I'll give you some stats. To back that up. Past three years before this previous one, two 1.97, 5 points per 60. That ranked 81st, 94th, and 48th. Yeah. Which is good. That means he's Very a first, first, he's a first line, line, line player. player. Yeah. This past year, he jumped up to 3.25, which was the sixth best rate. Right. Now, he himself shot 16.6%, which is high, but, you know, considering where he generally shoots from, playing and the with fact Johnny Gaudreau. finish between his legs. Yeah. Yeah. Like, you know what? Not outrageous. I think he shot 16.4 in like 2018, 19. Yes. He's been like 12 to 13. For it's his like career. Milan Lucic in his prime was like an 18% shooter yeah. and there was not a lick of regression that was it's ever a couple ex- It's a couple extra goals regardless, even if he bounces down totally. a little bit. Now, the Flames as a team, when he was on the ice, shot 12.3% as a team. 12.3% of their shots went, turned into goal. I didn't even know that was allowed when Daryl Sutter's your coach. That's a pretty <laughs> telling sign of regression. Now, it's funny you brought up like the Sherratt thing because. I was going to say my only hesitation of like pronouncing him a clear regression candidate is we've seen player time and time again the past two years step into this Florida Panther system. Now, new coach, yeah. I should mention that as well, see what Paul Maurice does. But theoretically, oh. everyone has looked their best coming into Florida. I forgot about how much they were cussing each other out during yes. the 2020 bubble. Well, I have a feeling he'll like them now. Um, 100%. <laughs> but I'd forgotten, I'd forgotten just how tense it was in that arena. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, after certainly the, was. Oh, you were there, the yeah, you were there for all those games. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, we'll see what happens. I, I would argue that at what he signed for, considering it is all of his prime seasons, he doesn't need to be a 100-plus point player to be effective because no. he does provide so many other I don't think he will multidimensional be. values. If he's 75 to 85, which seems reasonable because that's pretty much what he performed at before this, um, I think that's fine. People might be disappointed because they're expecting 104 points, but... If Mason Marchman's a 50-point player yeah. in Florida, yeah. there's at least a chance that Kachuk is going to continue to produce a ton. I just, I don't know how much, how much of what made Florida special in transition was lost with Uyghur and how much of what made Florida special in terms of the efficiency in zone was lost with Huberto. I'm not saying all of it by any means because there's so much talent still down there, but some of that offensive top end was wrapped up in a couple guys who are no longer on that team. And, wow. and so, I, you know, I'm, I'm really curious to see what this looks like because I think we are sleeping on... I think we are sleeping on the Uyghur impact in particular. Yeah. Right? I, and I think on both sides. So we'll, we'll, when we get into Calgary, we'll talk about it more, but it's like, yeah. you know, I'm not sure. 
I'm not sure in a vacuum going into next season that the Florida Panthers are better subbing in Kachuk for Huberto, period. To be totally honest with you. And then when you also remove Uyghur, well, I don't think I, I just I, I I do think there's a chance this takes away, you know, plus the departure of of the sort of brunette yeah. Quenville right, group. Right, right. Um how much does that neuter what had become a really, you know, sharp cutting edge for a pretty much unmatched Panthers of offensive attack. I, I mean, I think there's at least a chance that it's not insignificant. Here's what I'll say to that. One ties back to, you're totally right, but I think we spent 10 minutes at the start of the show talking about how contractually I'm okay with them losing two, three, four standing points or whatever from making this subtraction on their main roster. Yeah. For the if cost it extends of, two or three years of a competitive right. window down the line, I'm sure. fine with that. Um, other point, I, I'm, I would, I'm fine with that with some reservations, which, which in particular, the thing no one ever talks about enough with the Florida young team thing is is Barkov. Yeah, right. I mean, he's got the back of a 47 year old. At some point, you do wonder if, in fact, you know that that you, you look at the ages and yeah. it looks good, but you have to take into account who's really stirring the drink there. You know, it's a certain. Uh, Finnish born player with, uh, with with Russian heritage and and the fact that you know at some point you you got to be concerned about a, a guy who's had back injuries because back injuries are the type that's, that yep. never actually heal right you just manage yep. and you know I, I thought he looked like a different player in the last thirty games last year certainly versus the first well and there's game. no way around that if the, if that's the player they're getting and not the one that he can be at his absolute best and none of this really matters in my in my yeah opinion. you're right like they're you're screwed right. Um, so it's all kinda, window dressing it's a good point. Um, Here's what I would say. I think normally we push back so much against the idea that, like, what, they lost to Lightning within eight days. And I think you and I did a podcast shortly after that series. Mm-hmm. And I think I think we brought up this point a lot. But watching that series, I do genuinely believe they can't, they couldn't keep just playing the same way and expect different playoff results. You're right. Because I think there was something fundamentally flawed in the way they were approaching it. And it wasn't like, oh, we just got PDO'd for four games. Like, no, you are trying to play a certain way that clearly doesn't work in this setting. It, if it hadn't happened against Washington too, yeah. it would be one thing. It was thing. like such an inferior team to them. Such an inferior team. Yeah. But they both, they both, in Washington's case, they pushed them to the brink. And I know it was a six-game series, not a seven-game series, but like, that series was seconds from being three yeah. one, right? Um, they pushed them to the brink, and then the Tampa Bay Lightning swept them, both because the Panthers couldn't figure out a way to break down an, a, a relatively straightforward one three one. Like that's a problem. Well, the past two years, the Lightning, the, or sorry, the Panthers have been unequivocally the best rush team. I guess maybe like you could put the Abs in there, but pretty much like yeah. in terms of what they create off the rush, it's been incredible. And then throughout the regular season, they were just kind of overwhelming for your teams and even good teams because you almost can't prepare for it because they play so differently than everyone else, right? And as they come into these playoff settings, and obviously you don't want to overreact to losing to the Lightning because they are such a great champion, but when you can slow the game down, when the rules change a little bit, when you can like distinctly game plan for a team defensively and take away their plan A, if they don't have a plan B, like you're screwed. Like you, you can't just get by even the avalanche. We saw how many different ways that they beat teams over the course of their Stanley right. cup run. Like you have to have different types of players who can beat you in different ways because of course everyone's watching and scouting and they're going to try. Like if you don't take away a team's plan a, then 
Like, what are you doing in the playoffs? You you need to be able to play the game that's in front of you. And and it's not just the Avs. Think about the Tampa Bay Lightning, right? And their maturation. Yeah. And then the way that they started punking everybody by mimicking their style and just doing it better, right? I mean, you're right. You have to have that tactical malleability, um, I think, for sure, at once you get into playing the best every second night in the Stanley Cup playoffs. But here's why I brought that up. I don't think Kachuk, he's not the playmaker that Huberto is on a pure talent or no. in terms of how much he creates. But I think they can make up for a lot of that offensively because he provides a different form of it. And by that, I mean, like we kind of alluded to this, but like his ability to kind of hang out by the goal line in the offensive zone yeah. and be a triple threat, whether it's doing the traditional stand in front of the goalie screen, it takes some punishment, try to tip the puck or gets it at the side of the net, brings it out front. Yeah. tries for the 4,800 time to or, go through the legs. Or down low passing, right? But the down low passing. The, the Nick Foligno impression. The that goal he, line pass yeah. off the down low. How many times did Elias Lindholm score off of that like quick one touch where he would just get it into slot before they could adjust? It's such a rare skill too. So good. There's, there's not a lot of guys who do that well. Like I, I literally bring up Nick Foligno because he's like the only guy I can think of. I mean, Miko Rantanen has it to him, to his game, but it's like yeah. there's not a long list of guys who are really, really good at it. Matthew Kachuk is exceptional. Yeah, yeah. So whether it's that or like kind of working the cycle and trying to grind out offensive possessions, I think he does give them a new way of attacking a defensive shell that's like we're not going to let you play with space or or, or speed. Like you can come into the offensive zone, but we're going to like be around the net. What are you going to do next? I think he gives them like a problem-solving option for that that I don't think they had before necessarily. And so if he's able, like if he's able to, as good of a passer as Huberto was, if you're telling me that Kachuk's going to be on the goal line and then you're going to have either Barkov or Reinhardt or Bennett or Herbehagi, whoever, just kind of streaking into the slot and waiting for those passes, like, I'm, interest, I'm interested to see that. I am too, but one tragedy for me of the last two years, like of the Panthers' glow up, which didn't result in much in the way of playoff success, one tragedy to it for me is there seemed to be a reluctance to play Barkov and Huberto together. Yeah, they really barely played like only when trailing. It was like 205 on five minutes last season. We barely saw it in the playoffs. Yeah. And, you know, but that was kind of by design. No, no. Like, like when they yeah, were, they, they were a bad team, it was like they have one line. Totally. Totally. I get it. But I, I mean, as that team got deeper, right? Like you're telling me you couldn't have found a useful supporting attack with some combination of Bennett, Lundell, Reinhardt declare for Hagee like surely you can build an yeah. average second line out of that yeah. and and at least at least you know try a different look here and there because there was a there was a thing that Huberto and Barkov were able to do to, together whether it was with Yager or Bugstad they made Bugstad a, a 30 goal scorer one season uh Dodonov they had some nice seasons with uh yeah. with uh daddy on the right wing like there was a mind meld between those two, like two pass first lefties who are big enough to win battles along the wall. Maybe again, it's my Vancouver bias, but there's something about that player type uh, and that combination between them that I had a lot of affection for. And yeah. that I, I think it's, it's just too bad that they never tried that because you know, one, one of the ways you could have produced more without leaning so heavily on your rush chances was to install a cycle game built around those two with literally anybody playing right wing. True. I would have loved to have seen it more. True. Well, I think they probably feel more confident that they have the personnel to pull that off now in terms yeah. of up front. I'll, we'll see if Paul Reese, who's not necessarily known for being a freaking offensive creative genius here, we'll we'll, we'll yeah. see if he's pulling the strings. But I, I think I 
I think the Panthers may have significantly weakened their blue line. Wow. And, and I think there's a real yeah. chance that while they'll benefit from the cost certainty they've installed, there's not enough coming now. Yeah. And not enough assets. Like they they've drafted so well too. Uh, in this sort of Zito era, you look at the sort of pick, like they've, they haven't had a ton of picks, but the ones that they've used, they've been pretty consistent about shooting for upside with some pretty good results. Uh, Devon Levy being a sort of another yeah. good example. Um, it's going to be really hard for them to improve the way they need to, especially on that blue line. I mean, who's playing with Ekblad now? You know, like what does that defense, what's the top four even look like? Well, and I that, think that's the tricky situation because if they had kept Brunette and you were like, they're going to play the same way they played last year in the regular season. Sure. And they just made this trade. I'd feel more confident because I thought that system made it so much easier for like the Brandon Monters and, and Gustav Forslund of the world yeah. to like, you're just playing up and down yeah. and you're like, all right, there's you're always going to be someone available and there's always going to be space for you to skate into. So yeah. if you can move, and those guys are pretty easy to find. Um, well, you'll you'll make some good stuff happen. Um, right. I'm a bit more worried now, certainly because I don't know, like I don't know how much of it was by necessity and how much of it was because he wanted to. But Paul Maurice, during the end of his Winnipeg tenure, like after they like basically got rid of all that blue line talent, part of the problem was they were like getting Nick Gehlers and Kyle Connor and Mark Shifley and all their forwards to do like literally everything, and so they would go back and play the puck and then yeah. have to carry it out themselves. And I wonder if that's what they're going to try to do here. Like just basically make sure their defensemen other than Ekblad just don't have to do anything. So I don't like it. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I wonder just, if that's a logic though. I'm trying to, I'm trying to work my way through I, it. I'm worried that the Panthers are now a little bit stuck. Yeah. I think it's going to be very hard. They're now in the same situation that an awful lot of teams find themselves in where you might like the core and you might like the cost certainty they built, but the task is the task ahead now is going to be, can you get better and cheaper at the same time at a several premium positions, including goaltending, where they've got an intractable millstone hanging over their head mm-hmm. um, through no fault of the current management group and defense. And that's a, that's a tall order. Like That's what half the league struggles with and is banging their head against the wall trying to do but year after didn't year. Didn't we just talk about how the Panthers for the past two years have done such a good job of identifying guys who are cheap and then getting the most out of them? We have, but... The gravy train's stopping a little bit, like right. to some extent. Well, it is when you target Ben Sherratt, but also the some the the fall of twenty twenty is not replicable. Like the Panthers, the Montreal Canadiens, and the New Jersey Devils were like the only three teams with buying power. Yeah, you know, I mean that 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 doesn't exist anymore. You know the 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 spending advantage that the Florida yeah. Panthers enjoyed for one year was a truly a one year thing. You got to credit a rookie general manager for making, you know, hay out of that. But like that, that gravy trains over and those players aren't going to cost you one million any, anymore. Well, you know, they, I think they are limited. You, you mentioned like they've moved their first round picks now, 2022, 23, 24, 25. Yeah. But here's my, my rough kind of back of the napkin to math. They have 75 million in cap commitments for the next season. Tied up in 11 forwards. Four defensemen and two goalies. Scary, right? That doesn't include Anthony Duclair's three million, which will start on LTIR, and, and, but he will be back around June or January, I think. And when when's Lindell up? Well, I'm not even going to worry. They can't worry about that right now. You got to. 
had 50 points. That that 75 million doesn't include Patrick Hornquist's 5.3 million. <laughs> oh my goodness. Which is expiring. Yeah. Uh he's got an eight-team no trade list. The problem for them is that all of them all that money is tied up in in base salary. Right. Um so, so the problem also is that you have to pay. Right. We'll get into this more when we get into the Calgary Flames side of it, but the commonality that we've seen in some of the most lopsided deals of this offseason. Like, what is it, right? There's, there's a commonality. Every deal that hockey Twitter has been scratching their heads at or calling a steal or uh, what have you, I mean, there's a, co- there's a common thread. Dabrinkit, yeah. Pacioretty, yeah. right? Uh, Bjorkstrand. Bjorkstrand, for yeah. sure. And Unreal. now, and yeah. now Hubert Okachuk. And, I mean, the, the lesson isn't hard to figure out. The connection isn't hard to figure out here. Like, scoring wingers are everyone's first cap casualty. Yeah. Everyone's first cap casualty. So getting off of... What about J- fourth line wingers? <laughs> yeah. So getting off of a JVR or Patrick Hornquist. Yeah, that's tough. You, you, I mean, I think you can maybe do it at the deadline. Well, last summer, but different boy. circumstances. But last yeah. summer, they had $4.5 million left to pay out Anton Strawman. Right. And they moved him to Arizona for a second and a prospect. Yeah, but they don't have those players anymore. I don't see how they make this work if they don't move Patrick Hornquist's money or get him to retire. Well, he's not going to retire. Um, but the they're going to be a, a cap team with four defensemen under contract. Yeah, no, I mean, I uh, <laughs> they might be stuck. Like, I have real concerns. At the same time, them. though, they have a lot of dope players in their prime. They're going to be good. Yeah, but they're also going to be. They're also like. They're going to be good, but are they better? Yeah. Do you think they're better? Like, just yes, no. They're not going to be better next season, no. Okay. So they're they're going to be good, but they're yeah. not better than they were last season where they lost in a sweep in the second round. Right. And the avenues to improve further are blocked. That's my concern with the Florida side of this deal. Yeah. It feels like they've, you know, I don't want to say they've driven into a ditch because... No, that's the, extreme. The, the Barkov, Kachuk, Reinhardt, Ekblad ditch is more like a resort. Yeah. But they've like driven to a resort and it's like the Hotel California. Like they're going to have a nice time. They can check out anytime they like, but they can't leave. Like they're kind of stuck there. And I don't love that. I don't love that for a team that's, you know, they're, they're probably good enough to be a contender, but yeah. uh, it's going to be a murderer's row for them yet again in the toughest division in hockey. It will. No, I, I, I don't have, I wish I could disagree with that. Yeah. I it's, mean, it's, it's fair. Like yeah, you have I to realistically to, look I at it. I love to stand the Panthers. I still think they will be a really fun team to watch. I think they will be different. I, I think they will be worse. Like I, I don't, even if they brought back the same players, they probably weren't going to have the same success totally. they had last year. Correct. The NHL doesn't really work like that. No, I, I think they've opened up. It's weird. I think in terms of actually playing on the ice, I think they've opened up potentially different looks that might serve them well in a playoff setting. I think in terms of like from the front office perspective, in terms of fielding that our roster, their options have been limited. Yeah. So I, I, I just, I, it feels to me like they, I want to try and get this analogy right, but it feels to me like they've, um, feels to me like they're on the right side of the James Neal, Patrick Hornquist trade that Pittsburgh made five years ago, mm. right? In that they've 
sort of traded the better player for a rarer player, right? But you like that deal a lot less when part of the price of of making it happen includes like the right-handed version of Devon Taves. You know, like that makes me a little bit more circumspect yeah. about the trade. I, I just think people are sleeping on the impact of the defenseman here. And as we, but as we pivot to talking about... If they about, were uncomfortable, if they truly viewed it as Mackenzie Weger will not be on our team beyond, beyond next, next season. season. Yeah. I guess you could argue they could have used him in a separate trade to potentially get other players that could help them. Yeah. Or... Go with him for one more season. Yeah. Also, he could be on your team. You don't yeah. Have <laughs> I mean, especially if, especially if the issues are off ice or are giveaways. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's it's not like Mackenzie Weger's issues were like speed. Yes. Or yeah. You know, I, I just think recognized employees with Custom Inc. Show customer appreciation with Custom Inc. Outfit your teams with Custom Inc. Easily add your logo to your favorite products and brands at CustomInc.com. Make Custom Inc. your custom gear partner with great customer service, quality products, and all-in pricing, along with personalized help when you need it and an easy-to-use website when you don't. All backed by a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Do it all today at customink.com. Champions aren't born, they're made. And the secret to make your business reign supreme? Shopify the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Forget the off-season work. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling warm-ups or wall hangers, it's time to start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build the relationships that create die-hard fans. Shopify fields all the sales channels to grow a winning business from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. Shopify is a secret to becoming a business champion by making it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere, taking the guesswork out of selling. When you're ready to take your winning idea to the world, team up with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash bluewire, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash bluewire to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash bluewire. So as we, as we pivot to the okay, let's do flames. Side. Let, let's start. Let's start with the business yeah. component of the flames, and then we can talk about Huberto and, sure. and Uyghur as players. Well, can I can I just start by asking the big question that I have because I don't have an answer to it. Okay, but I, but I want I want this to hang over our discussion of the flames. Okay, and I'm hoping that you can also give me your view, like a partial right. answer. To yeah. It. The thing I don't know from a Calgary perspective, the thing I'm fascinated to watch, like what is the impact of giving the best defensive team in hockey yeah. a, a top pair quality, an additional top pair quality defenseman. Like I can't remember that happening yeah. in my lifetime. Like I can't think of an analogous situation. What is the impact of giving the best defensive team in hockey a player like that? Like I, I find it very difficult to sort of handicap how good Calgary is going to be in the wake of this deal because my first blush sort of take is that's going to be pretty impressive. They're going to be really hard to score against. 
Yeah, well, initially I'd say I think you do reach a point of diminishing returns in terms of like, even if you had six Nicholas Lidstrom's, I feel like at some point you will give up a certain amount of goals. Like, I think, like, you can only be so good defensively in a way. Similar to, like, you can only really be so good offensively. Like, I I think we'd like to think that, like, oh, if you maximized every single lineup spot and you had, like, 12 perfect forwards that all fit each other. So, like, yeah. it's, it, that's not The best you're ever going to be is, like, 58%, right? Yeah, like, like, it's just, that's the way it works. Mackenzie Weger, though, is such an interesting player because on top of the defensive acumen, he's also so involved in the trans- transition with the puck right. that I think he can actually help them offensively just as much in a way, which you talked about how, like, for the Panthers, the way they wanted to play or the way they were playing, how much of that was also boosted by the fact that they had this guy who could just, like, get the puck out of his own pretty much whenever he wanted to. And you saw it in that Stars series where, like, yeah. only Shillington and yeah. Anderson were really threats with the puck, and Anderson... At a far less dynamic clip, yeah. Just because, just because of his foot speed. I mean, yeah. I think he's more creative than right. Chillington, to be honest with you. But Chillington can move in a totally different way. Totally adding another body, and then and then the sort of floor aspect of of a left side defenseman who shoots right and can play either side. Anyway, let's talk the business side because okay. Calgary was up against it, right? They were up against it. I think they did really well for themselves here, considering the circumstances. Oh yeah, because it seemed like I mean. I don't want to say they had no leverage because they had the rights to a really good player that a lot of teams theoretically wanted. So, like, that is leverage in and of itself. Well, and the, the price that the Panthers paid tells you a fair bit about the price that other teams were willing to pay. Like, make no mistake, well, the Panthers don't give that up. Do you think that's correct? Yes. You think the Pan- you think Bill Zito was talking to Bill uh, Doug Armstrong? I always <laughs> mix up the two Armstrongs. Well, I think, I think within the industry anyway, there yeah. the... Because a lot of the rumored trades and and you know hockey Twitter is notorious for this are, are very sure. low ball offers. Oh yeah, no. I was like, we'll no, give you this with, third pairing defenseman, a second round pick, and some random prospect who was good five years ago. Like, I'm not going to report this because I haven't done the work to have multiple sources on it. But it's like the players that people that I talk to a lot, you know, uh, current executives around yeah. the league were uh, of the mind that that were on the table. Um, they were like very much better than those hockey twitter offers you've scoffed at like so, the, the player you don't think the team was willing to part with they were willing so to part do you with. think brad true living could have conceivably gotten jordan Cairo, jake neighbors in a first well no because the cap wouldn't have worked right i think he needed well they probably could have got like marco scandala or some yeah but even then the even yeah. then you're only talking about five million that's coming true. back that's true the, the st louis would have been cooked yeah um i think so i, I mean i do I think he could have gotten at least 66% of that? Yes, I do. Yeah. Including the major piece? Yeah. Yeah. But but I think the other piece coming back would have had to be a much higher salaried guy than Scandella. And and thus you get into where it would have been complicated, particularly given the no trade protections that the Blues have. Well, that's interesting because I think we're going to have this conversation again at some point with, with Pierre-Luc Dubois. But like, it's a really interesting conversation to have about if you're a team, it's like so telegraphed that a player wants to go to your city to play for your team. Yeah. And the only catch is either you have to put together a trade package in the present to get them. Or, or you hope. Or you try to have your cake and eat it too by patiently waiting it out and trying to sign up with which, zero acquisition cost. is tough to do. It's tough. Like why would a player like Matthew Kachuk... Have only one, one destination. But also want to play next season on a $9 million deal when he could get a $76 million deal and play like, why would you play a dangerous game 
Well, when for nine million guaranteed, yeah, when true. you could play it for seventy six million guaranteed, and then only get seven years. This is exactly what happened. Like I think about Weber before. I think about the Weber offer sheet scenario, right? And there was, you know, rumors for years, not entirely unfounded, that Weber's, you know, private ambition would have been to come to the west coast of Canada and play in Vancouver. Yep. And you know, I don't think that was entirely unfounded. The Canucks met with him to discuss an offer sheet that summer before Philadelphia. And they told him the only deal that makes sense, the only deal that actually results in you coming here is a one year offer sheet. Yeah. That's the only deal that makes sense because if they match it, you become a free agent. And if it's longer than that, they will, there's no way to design it so that it won't be matched. Yeah. And they explained that to him. And ultimately, so Weber, Weber is left with, do I sign a, an extension before the CBA expires? Right? Like, yeah. do I sign an extension on the old rules before September 15th, 2012? Yeah. Or, um, you know, do I pursue the thing that I want most from a hockey fit perspective? Well, guess what's always going to win? Yeah. Get that bag. Yeah, absolutely. As you should, Every right? player should, 100%. Zero, zero um, criticism. I'm just saying, it, it. this one really reminded me of that. And I really think, like, you technically the Flames had a year to make this move. I don't think they ever considered as soon as like, like earlier this week and it came out, like he told them he's not going to resign. Yeah. These are the teams he'd go to. I don't think there was, there was a 0% chance that he was going to be playing on a one year deal for the flames next season, regardless. So it's not like they had a year to make a deal. They really had this summer yeah. to make a deal. Well, and they, and they obviously filed for arbitration just to buy themselves like a little bit of extra time. Certainly. Because, because, and you know, that enhanced their trade value. Like I, I'm sure that that was done with the Kachuk camp's permission and understanding, right? Because they needed that additional leverage time to give Kachuk the sign and trade, which, and this was really an NBA style sign and trade. It was a, a fascinating, a sort of wrinkle, well, something that really should be happening more. And from what I understand now, the cap friendly and correct me if I'm wrong, but they opened up a second buyout window by being the team to sign Kachuk. Matthew Kachuk as opposed nice. to trading him and his, his rights. That, that, would, that would be correct. Which we'll talk about with Sean Monaghan But they second. also have another are, they Oh, have I guess other so. Arbitration with Manjifani, right? So I, don't I guess think, Florida just doesn't get right. the second, Florida doesn't second get it, buyout. Okay. Not that they'd be using it, but okay. Well, they might if they traded for uh, <laughs> Philippe Myers. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Someone's still doing that. I still yeah, believe that sure. that's going to happen. The Flames needed to decide what direction they wanted to go here, right? Because it was a very crossroads moment for their organization. And I've seen a lot of kind of like people being like, all right, well, what does this ultimately accomplish? Because this team should be trying to get like young players and futures as opposed to like just kicking the can down for a year potentially, right? And I think... Should they? Well, no, here's... Well, I don't think so. No. Because even if you remove Goudreau and Kachuk, and let's say you didn't add any player in return in exchange for Kachuk, as great as those two guys are, I think there's still enough good players on this roster that I wouldn't feel confident saying they're going to bottom out and be like a top five pick. Oh, uh, no. Right? So with that logic, they also, let's say they embrace, they were like, listen, we're going to trade Kachuk for purely futures. I legit think, I legit think you lose Kachuk and Gaudreau and they're still an elite defensive team. Like, they, I, yeah, I, I, think, be, yeah. I think, I think even without Huberto and Weir right. coming in, I think there was a real chance that they were a playoff team. Yeah. Without, without you know, just, just if they'd signed like league average guy in like Evan Rodriguez coming in and, um, um, Sonny Milano. 
Sonny Milano. Perfect. Yeah. That's exactly what I meant too. Yeah. So, like those well, guys come our, in. That's why we're best buds. Huh? That's why we're best yeah, buds. I, I, li- saw, I saw Sonny Milano in your eyes. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. I was about to say guy who sets up Zegris. Like it was just one of those, um, my, my head's based on it. You bring those guys in. I still think they're, I think they're top half of the league team. Well, yes, but also let's say they decided, let's say they got, they were like, all right, this is going to be tough for us to swallow. Our fans will be unhappy, but the best, the most prudent course of action for this organization is to just rebuild the hell out of this, do it quickly, do it aggressively and just suck for a couple of years. Right. Let's say they decided to do that. Yeah. We just talked about how this market, how few teams there are that could even absorb contracts realistically. Totally. So even if they decided to do that, I saw a lot of, all right, if they don't get back anything good back for Kachuk, trade Backlund, trade to Foley, trade Markster, trade Tanev. It's like, which teams are taking on these deals? Like, I don't, like, even if you wanted to accomplish it, I don't think you could facilitate quickly enough yeah. to be bad. Look, look at the Canucks and look how hard it is to change direction. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, unless you have full flexibility financially. Or unless you're willing to lose some deals. Like, unless wow. you're willing to. No, no, but the Bjorkstrand trade is a perfect example of like the reality of shedding cap space is that to do it, to do it, you've got to pick your good players and you've got to accept that the return sucks. Yeah. And then you've got to, you know, take your licks and be damn sure that the reasons you're carving out cap space are worth it. And in Columbus's case, I think it's highly debatable, but yeah, but for that team to be able to actually keep Patrick Lyon is not a small thing. Right. Yeah, we can talk more about Columbus here at the end. Uh, it's just, it's all part of the no, piece. No, it is. I, it I is, mean, it I just is. think if you, you have to accept, it's not like we're going to trade Backland for a haul. It's like we're going to trade Backland because we need the cap space yeah. and we're attaching a second to get it done. No, but and in this case, like, I, you would agree, right? Like, the worst place is, is to be directionless in the sense, like, being stuck in the middle. Totally. Whether it's by design or whether it's because you can't get out. And, like... I, I understand why, even if it's not necessarily a long-term solution, like I don't know what their plan is with Huberto, if they even have intentions of extending him. I don't know. We'll see what happens with Uyghur. Or if he wants to do it. But A, I mean, this buys them more time, right? So they're not out of the woods. No. But now they have more time to make a decision from a better position of strength, whether it's at the deadline or at some point in the season or later. Like They're not rushed to do it. Here's my take. Yeah. Really quick. We, what did we just talk about? What is the single piece that teams are willing to not just move for free, but sometimes pay you to move scoring wingers. Mm. Okay. Calgary has a Vezina nominee goaltender, a backup that we like, right? Vladar is totally fine. Yep. And that Dustin Wolf kid, you yep. know, who was like nine two four in the American league last year and better than that in the playoffs. Yep. Okay. They have, if not the best defense core in hockey, the only reason it's not the best defense core in hockey is that they don't employ Kel McCarr and the yep. Colorado Avalanche do. Absolutely. Like one through or two through six, you take Calgary's group ahead of the, the Colorado Avalanche. Yep. But the distance between McCarr and Number one, yeah. Rasmus Anderson right. is so big that you probably still give the. Yep. But nonetheless, an elite, elite defense core. That's their weight class, right? It's like very much top of the league quality. And then they have a Selkie nominee. In Elias Lindholm, who's mm-hmm. not their best defensive center. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you have those building blocks in a world where Bjorkstrand is available for free at a for a third and a and a fourth, and where a team will pay you an additional twenty four year old cost controlled right handed defenseman to take on Max Pacioretty, right? Why do you have to move Huberto at all? 
Keep him for one season. And if he leaves, that's six million in cap space with which to absorb the next Pacioretty. Right. Like if you have a Daryl Sutter team that can control play and play killer defense, and all you need every year is to replace another sixty point winger. Yep. There's a real chance that you can just do it on a rolling basis at bargain bin prices. And just like, you know, you can have six style thrifting. The Calgary Flames are set up to thrift better than anybody. That's my take on this. I would keep Huberto. I think the Calgary Flames should keep Huberto for this season. Absolutely. And not even worry about it. Try to resign him if he's not willing to. No problem. We'll find your replacement. And we might even get paid to take him. Well, and, and I think, you know, deadline markets can come hit or miss. But, you know, if, let's say they decide for whatever reason to explore trading him at some point. Yeah. I think we're also underrating how he makes $5.9 million. Right uh, against the cap, and yeah. Uyghurs three point two five or something. Yeah, three two five. Okay, so nine point one five combined. Like what we've seen over the past couple of years is what doesn't, or or what really factors into it is a lot of these contenders are really up against the cap ceiling. So if they can get a guy for cheap that they can slide in without having to move around other money, they'll they're willing to pay extra in terms of acquisition cost of futures like what have we seen the lightning do time and time again totally. the last couple of years they're like multiple oh, you, want a, you for... want an extra first because this guy only costs well, 1.5 million the amount, of, the amount of people in the business who still react to things like brandon hagel i've never heard of him two yeah, firsts i know it's too... right no but the, the barkley gaudreau thing yeah people were furious when it happened well, in our, in our trade line preview, we had Hagel going to the Lightning for that exact reason. It's like they can have two years of this guy at whatever his AAV is. They'll pay 21st for that. Yeah. Like you can't measure the value for that because they don't have to move Palat or Chlorin or whatever at the time. Totally. To bring him in and actually add and a he was, six guy, right? I mean, he had no finishing luck in the playoffs, but yeah. I thought he played really well. Yeah. Uh, excellent player. Okay. So. Um, that miss against about, Toronto aside, that could have been a big deal. Yep. Okay, we talked, I think, about the business stuff, right? I'm trying to go through my notes here. I have, there's just so much to wrap your head around. I, I love this trade so much because there's so many moving parts. Uh, the, well, so the player empowerment side can't be ignored, right? The Kachuk paradigm, I think, is the biggest. Uh, what has a long... T- I think the two things that are going to have long tails here is increasingly we live in a world where wingers are seen as inefficient bets mm. and and even the best ones in the league like max petretti is a point per game guy jonathan huberto was third in the nhl in scoring and his inclusion like i didn't even factor him in you know i had them i, I had them trading carter verhage because i couldn't even fathom that huberto would be a, a piece of actually probably lower value from yep. a panthers perspective than carter verhage like that didn't even occur to me but if you are toward the end of your deal even if you're 27 and have four years of term at a 5.4 number and scored 60 points, like yep. scoring wingers are increasingly seen as inefficient bets. And that has huge implications for the trade values of an awful lot of players that you and I think are great. Well, that's also why Nino Niederreiter went for what he did. Because how many, how many wingers got paid four to five million AAVs this, this summer? Nino? We can probably count on one hand. Yeah, I don't yeah. even think we could. Yeah. Nino, Makayev. Yeah. Everyone's going either super cheap or they're studs and you're paying them eight, well, nine, can 10 you, million. Can you imagine having signed a big money middle six winger a week before Bjorkstrand goes for a third and a fourth? 
Like, man, okay, anyone, anyone who committed big money to a winger, like up to and including the Pittsburgh Penguins with Brian Rust, those deals, those deals were like awful looking within a week. We've, we traded text over this. How has a smart, enterprising, rebuilding team not gotten Jason Zucker, who has one year left, who's a good player? Yeah, and gotten, gotten paid a, to second, take him. a second or whatever to take him. Yeah. Play them in their top six, hope he stays healthy. He'll produce if he does, and get another asset at the deadline. And while retaining half. Yeah. yeah. Instead of signing one of your own for the same. I know. Like, I, it, I do not understand it. I genuinely, it me bugs neither. me so much. Well, I, uh, the JVR one too. I know the JVR cap hits big, but I, and also I don't have as much time for the player, but man, like if you put JVR with a good playmaking center and put him at the net front, you can rehabilitate that value, especially once teams are looking at, you know, JVR at 1.75 with him being laundered through a third party. Everyone's, everyone's in such a rush to, uh, to get incrementally better. Like, to just have something to show your fans? Like, look, we're trying. Yeah. We just spend money. This guy's going to be fun to watch, right? Yeah. And the goal is to win. I can guarantee you that fans of your team will not care whether you finish with 82 points or 86 points at the end of the season. Yeah, they're still going to think you suck. Yeah. So a lot of, <laughs> a lot of these a lot of these signings for these teams are a lot of these, like, wingers. I know. I guess it's fun. I don't, like, I don't know. You're going to sell some jerseys. Like, I, you're, like, it's really fundamentally does not change the trajectory of your organization. No. And so it's not a matter of us analytics guys, like, not caring about winning. It's actually the opposite. I care so much about winning that I want to try to win. I think it's hard to explain to some of the more competitive and involved owners in this league yeah. that we're going to maintain cap space. Like, free agency is going to come and go. We're not going to make a splash. The draft's going to come and go. We're going to trade back yeah we're going to trade back and accumulate assets and then when free agency hits we're going to just sit on our cap space we're going to sit on our cap space for two weeks because it's going to pay off yeah like that's hard that 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 can be a hard sell yeah when your owners are competitive action-oriented hockey fans you know what i mean who want to see their team be in the mix and be in the headlines and they want to hear from their friends about what a great offseason they had you know like but you don't acquire boy chuck and letty for a song on July 1st, you do it in late August. You know, you don't yep. get Christian Erhoff for free on July 5th. You get him in September. Like you don't get Devon Taves when the offseason starts. You get him at the tail end of the offseason right at the right at the end of it. Like that's how you rebuild a blue line. That's how you get Max Patch ready for free. That's how you get Bjorkstrand for free. Like you have to be willing to be patient. I think that's a really tough sell for more teams internally than we realize. Yeah, certainly. Okay, let's do quickly, we're at an hour already. I want to talk about Huberto and Uyghur in terms of the actual on ice yeah. contributions. Because um, I think people are interested in terms of like trying to forecast how they're going to fit on this team, right? Because what's, what's the gap between Huberto and Gaudreau? Well, I think he's like about as perfect of a ready-made facsimile as they could yeah, they except, could have. Except he's larger. Yeah. I think less like dynamic as a puck carrier. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the, in the, in the offensive zone, like the distribution and making plays for others. I think he's just as good a shooter though. Like I think he's just as good a finish. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what he led the league in assists last year and primary assists Yeah, uh, scored 115 points. Now he's, he's, a, he's, we talked about, we should say, we talked about how Chuck's year was an aberration. Like this was all, uh, there were a lot of offensive aberrations last year. 
the whole season was an offensive Of course, aberration. yeah. Right. So we should point that out because we, I think we spent a lot of time talking about like what is Kachuk actually as an offensive. But, but Huberto's been pretty consistent. No, of course, of course, of course. Point per game. But this plus. was like a next level for him at age 29. Totally. Which is like not a thing that's typically yeah. something you want to bet on, which is I think why we're both, we'd be both be kind of worried about being like, let's sign up for seven more years of this at an exorbitant price. He's just so, you know, I know Joe pretty well. Do you have, do you have any funny Huberto stories that you can share? So many. Give me one. Um, I mean, the main thing about the main thing to know about Jonathan Huberto is Jonathan Huberto is a little bit rare in NHL circles in that he wants to be the star. You know, I, I think going to a Canadian market is kind of an interesting place for him to be. Yep. Because I think Huberto's comfortable with attention. I think he's a people person. I think he's going to enjoy the pressure in, in a way that other players maybe might not. The majority mm-hmm. of NHL players might find it quarrelsome, troublesome, annoying. Yeah. I think he's going to... I think the bigger the stage, the better... Um, the better sort of... The higher his aptitude is. It, it, you know, I remember with, with as a PR guy, right? You have to get guys to do things. Um, most of the time after they've competed in a game yeah, or yeah. Uh, they don't want to do them. And so you figure out how to be like a lion tamer. Like part of the job is being a lion tamer, right? Like, just like, how do I get this guy to yes right away really quickly when there's 8 million things going on and I don't have time to debate it. And Huberto was relatively straightforward because I just tell him like, Oh, you know, man, like the thing is, is like, I can't just get another guy to do it. Like I need a star. And he'd be like, okay, well, that's me. So <laughs> I'll do it. Uh, I'll do it. I, I, there's not a lot of people that I've worked with that I like more than Joe. Like yeah. Joe was um, awesome. Just a pleasure. And his work ethic. When I started working with Jonathan Huberto, I think he was probably like a buck 80 yeah. in terms of his weight, maybe a buck 85. And two and a half years later, by the time I left the Panthers, he was like 210 pounds. Just like, yeah. And, and, and probably a better skater for his work, right? Like Jonathan Huberto's an absolute killer in terms of the way he works on his game. I yeah. think he's going to be a tremendous fit for Calgary. Well, and I think he's going to get a lot of opportunities to do what he wants to do in Calgary on the ice. Cause I, I think there's a misconception about Daryl Sutter hockey. Mm-hmm. I think if you watch it kind of casually, it's like, man, this guy's just trapping it up in the neutral zone. This is boring. In reality, when they're at their best. Now, yeah. we didn't see a lot of this against the Oilers in round two. No, but when it's like br- the Brown, Williams, Kopitar. When they're rolling yeah. and they're swarming in the neutral zone, I imagine for an offensive player, assuming you can get the buy-in to compete defensively, it's going to be very fun because you get a lot of turnovers and a lot of quick counterattacks where you're all of a sudden on a three-on-two countering back into the offensive zone, and that's what Huberto wants to do. And so I know there's been a lot of like, how's he going to mesh with Daryl Sutter? Like, oh, he's an eighth percentile defender or whatever. Like he's certainly not a good defensive player, but so much, especially for Daryl Sutter defense is trying. And we saw last regular season, Johnny Gaudreau back checked really hard. And I imagine it was because he saw the immediate rewards of like, oh, if I do this, I provide a bit of support. All of a sudden we get a turnover. I get the puck. Right. That's pretty fun. And then I get the score and I get paid. And I think for Huberto, who's going to be in a contract here. Yeah. Motivated as hell. I think I 
We'll see. But Sutter hockey's perfect for him. Like the thing about Gaudreau is Gaudreau's faster, right? Gaudreau's a better puck carrier. Yeah. But a lot of the things that are hallmarks of Sutter hockey, um, close support, right? Yes. Like yeah. like your your teammates are close to you yeah. often yeah. when you're when you're playing Sutter hockey. Well, his area game, right? His his uh, in tight passing game is sort of one of his best attributes. He's better along the wall. Yep. Than Huberto is because he's a larger human being. Like he's an exceptional battle winner. Uh, there's a lot of aspects of Sutter hockey that I think he's going to be a perfect fit for. Yep. And he's going to play with Elias Lindholm, I assume, who is actually the perfect player to play with Huberto because defensively, I think he can help him. Offensively, what we saw from him last year where he scored 42 goals, it was a lot of hanging out in the slot. Yep. And the puck comes shooting it incredibly quickly and accurately and scoring, right? Yeah. And I think it's going to be a match made in heaven. And I actually think, you know, it's, it's kind of silly to say this about a player who got nominated for the Selkie and, and I'm with you, like Michael Backlund is probably their best defensive forward. Yeah. Which is not a knock on. But when you look at the, when you look at the defensive models, right? A lot of it is based on, okay, these guys play together what happens in the minutes we have that they're separate to determine, to try totally. to isolate impact, right? Yeah. And that's the only way you can do it because if the guy, two guys are on the ice at the same time, how do you quantify which guy was responsible for a good defensive which play? Is, which is why the Gaudreau, or sorry, which is why the Huberto, like uh, the anti-Huberto heart case. Now, Huberto wasn't on my heart ballot, I want to be clear here, okay. but I thought was a little overheated because it's like, oh, you mean when Florida Panthers top six forwards aren't playing with Jonathan Huberto, their numbers are better because they're playing with Barkov? Yeah. Like, that's not exactly a slight on Huberto to me. Anyway, sorry. Well, well no, but that's, that, that's, I the, thing, that's the thing I noticed because I was like, I'm, I'm really curious. It's like, Lindholm played 100 minutes without Kachuk last year, and it was basically random, like, defensive zone shifts with Trevor Lewis and Brett Ritchie where I assume he was out there to take a draw, and then if he didn't win it and he got it out right away, then... They were just bleeding shot attempts against because he was out yep. there for that, right? And that's not like a good way to evaluate who's no. good defensively. So well, I think a lot of that because it was like, and Matthew Kachuk's a good defensive player, but I think a bit of it was blown out of proportion in terms of like he's in he's the best defensive winger or whatever. It's like he's fine, he's good, he's good positionally, he's active. Yeah, but like a lot of the he's credit, smart. a lot of the credit for their success was actually attributed to his numbers because of that usage. Mm -hmm. And I think Elias Lindholm is a very good defensive player and i think playing with like that's a great spot for huberto to step into if huberto can do what he did for sam bennett yeah what can he do for elias lindholm yeah because elias lindholm is a better finisher yeah a smarter player yeah also right-handed yeah i mean elias lindholm i i hope he brings his appetite into the season because he's gonna eat <laughs> Did you plan that line? What no. was that? I don't know. I just <laughs> thought about it. <laughs> um, okay, on, We've been going long enough that I want a snack. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll talk about Uyghur here quickly, and then we'll be out, okay? Yeah, no, I, I'm in no rush to leave. Eh? So I think We'd the perception of him anyway. is a bit more nuanced, because Huberto, it's like it's pretty clear. It's like, all right, this guy is one of the most gifted playmakers defensively. Mm -hmm. What are you going to get? For Uyghur, I don't necessarily think it's like an even an analytical conversation. I think it's like a, it's, it's very human to see him make the occasional mistake that's highly visible that leads to a goal against on a big stage in the postseason where it's like a close game and they lose because of it. And to have that be the lasting image in your mind, in your evaluation of them, right? Sure. Like, I think that's a very normal thing. My only argument against that is one, well, I guess two, I guess. Two arguments against that. One, like he handled the puck so much for them. 
like his volume of defensive zone touches where he was going to try to make a play with it. And he always does for better or worse. Um, when you have the puck that often, it's like, that's like when in the heyday of Eric Carlson, it's like he led the league in giveaways. It's like, yeah, he also led the league in puck touches and like attempts to do stuff, zone exits, like passes out of like everything. The best players in hockey lead the league in yeah, giveaways. They make the most year. mistakes because yeah. they're making the most decisions. Yeah. Um, and two, I'd argue that everything he does in those intervening moments is so valuable in the modern game that in the, in the aggregate, like it makes him such a valuable player, right? Like I can live with an occasional boneheaded mistake. And I do think it's a fair criticism. Like he seems to get a bit spooked under pressure, right? Like he hears footsteps. He I, don't think, a bad I don't think he feels pressure. Well, yeah, for, for, oh, for maybe. A, okay. Yeah. For, yeah. For so maybe, top maybe end, it's actually the opposite extreme. Then like he, sh- he should read it better for, for top end, for a top end player. I think he, so Uyghur's like an energizer bunny in real life yeah. too. Like Uyghur's one of those guys who's always, yeah, always kind of moving. Yeah. Um, the listeners can see what you were doing. But yeah, sorry, but I was bouncing. You know, you, but you everyone everyone has that guy in their office or yeah. a guy you used to sit with in class, and he'd be just like, like that's who Uyghur is. I don't think he feels pressure at a high end level uh, in terms of being the first guy back to get a puck and having four checkers on him, and I, I think that is a valid criticism of his game. I think Uyghur became overrated over the last couple of years. You know, <laughs> um, one of those guys who was so anonymous and so underrated and then has sort of become underrated, uh, became overrated and then had two giveaways, two bad moments and yep. now is underrated again. Yeah. The fact is, is that he's got a tremendously unique profile because he can play either side and he's a bona fide top pair guy on either side. And I think he's probably better on his left, but he can easily, easily slide back over to the right. I view him as more offensive than defensive, although the defensive numbers are studly. Yeah. Um, if you're worried about turnovers, just put him with Chris Tanev. Wow. I, mean, I, think, they, I think they will. <laughs> just put him Even with Chris Tanev. worried about it. Super easy. You, oh. know, you, know, you know what will make anyone more comfortable? Playing with Chris Tanev. You're fine. Uh, Uyghur's top pair quality defenseman, period. Like, he's top pair quality defenseman. Tough, smart, skilled. I th- I don't I don't think he feels pressure that well when when he has to be the first guy back to get the puck. That's the only thing about yeah. his game that leaves me a little bit cold. And even there, it's like it's top four caliber. It's just not high end. Like it's not the best part of his game. He's going he's he's going to change how Calgary can play in such a meaningful way. Plus, his ability to play on either the left or the right side means that you know what's what's Calgary's worst case scenario. You lose. Chris Tanev for 20 games. Well, Mackenzie Wieger is your second pair right D. You yep. want to play him with Rasmus Anderson? Like, I think that'll work. You yep. want to play him with Noah Hannafin? That'll work. You want to play him with Shillington? I think that'll work. Like, they might need to be sheltered a bit, but I think that'll work. You yep. can play with Zadorov. Like, the, between him and Zadorov being interchangeable on the left and the right side, and Shillington too, I mean, the amount of versatility, the sort of level of the floor that that defensive group has there's just no easy nights and then that's not even getting into like Mackie Valamaki um I don't who I don't like that much to yeah. be honest with you but like nonetheless I mean there's like nine guys on that team that yeah if it's a guy they need to put in occasionally as a sixth defense you're not right? even worried yeah, about it absolutely. so I, I just think Uyghur's impact in Calgary can be far more significant than people realize like I think that's the key piece here and it's one of the reasons why in the wake of this deal you know, I know that they still have some issues. I know that ideally you'd find a way to reallocate Sean Monahan's money to an additional middle six forward and ideally a third line center upgrade. But I find it tough to look at this team and not see 
a, a side that should be favored to win the Pacific. Well, last thing on Uyghur, his his transition work is 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 so good, electric. So you know, you you mentioned earlier how like if it wasn't Shillington or Anderson moving the puck out, the Flames were in trouble in the postseason. Out of 102 qualifying defensemen, I had him Uyghur as 11th in successful zone exits with possession, but defending the rush is where he's actually at his best. So he, I, I agree. I think he profiles as more of an offensive defenseman in terms of like sprinting up the ice yeah. and trying to make stuff happen. With but his he's energy. a monster on the squeeze. And, and that's like Daryl Sutter loves that. Like he was yeah. getting like Nikita Zadorov and Eric Branson to like step up because if, if, if your gaps are so close with your forwards, if you're getting that back pressure, like you can do so, right? Like you don't have to worry about sagging back. And so he was like top five in terms of forcing turnovers and, and not allowing entries. And so the idea of putting him with Chris Tanev is actually so fascinating to me. Because in that, you would have, like, one of the handful of best rush defenders in the league with one of the best handful, like, in-zone defenders. Right. And that is such an awesome, like, it's so rare for you to be able to construct a pairing like that while still having Anderson and Hannafin and then Shillington, like, roaming around in shelter third pair minutes, just crushing it every time he's on the ice. Like, you're right. That is an electrifying group. And also, if they eventually, if they decide to keep Uyghur and extend him, and trade one of the other guys for a forward help if you want to. Like, you can always trade defensemen for forwards. It's much tougher to do the reverse. I wonder if you try and do Uyghur right away. Yeah. You know, I, I, I do sort of wonder about how much the pressure of the moment, particularly when he had the one giveaway against Washington and it became another and another yep. uh, against Tampa Bay, how it, like, snowballed, right? Because it did feel like in that moment he struggled with it a little bit i and that's sort of where to the turnover criticism for me is a little different in Uyghur's case than it has been most of the time like mm. it was the same error three times yeah and and so i think it became like this snowball effect and so i think it's fair when that happens to a player even a player who i regard as highly as Uyghur, uh to ask some tough questions about like did you handle that well yeah and if you didn't why not and what can we do to better right. support that um, but also, I wonder if you can eliminate that pressure to some extent. And obviously, it would be in the Flames' interest anyway yeah. to do a deal off the bat, avoid the contract year pressure, avoid that new team pressure, sort of go in with some comfort. If, if, I'm, if I'm Calgary, even beyond the sort of strategy and asset allocation element, just from a getting the most out of the guy side, I wonder if you try and get a, a long-term deal done almost immediately with him. I mean, it's funny because we talked about the age bracket of the Panthers. The Flames are old. Here are the Flames, the ages. Backlund, 33. Tanev, right. 33. Markstrom, 33. Blake Holman, 31. Toffoli, 30. Alas, then home, 28. Manjupani's turning 27. Hannafin and Anderson, 26. So, not that you all of a sudden want to become the Washington Capitals of a couple of years ago and just have like every single old player in the league. But Why not? It, it becomes, like, well, it becomes know, less like, of a concern not? for me to be like, all right, this 29-year-old, what's he going to look like in four years or five years? It's like, what is our team going to look like in five years? Like, I don't... You got two more years, right? Two more years with Tanev. They finished first in goal differential and sixth in point percentage last year. Like, I know they, they're fundamentally going to be yeah. different because they just lost two first-line players. But the only, the only team that allowed fewer goals than them was the Rangers, right? Yep. And the Rangers got a historic season from their goaltender, right? Yep. I mean, you literally need to put God himself in net. To, to be better defensively than the Flames were yeah. last year. I, I mean, and now they've added a top pair quality defenseman. I, I just, 
the sky feels like the limit for the amount of 2-1 games that the Flames can win. Yeah, and they have, they have options. I'm not sure um, how much they're willing to spend in terms of real money, but... They don't have a ton. You don't, I don't think they have a ton of options left. Unless Monaghan okay, gets buy, healthy. If they, if they buy they out Monaghan. But, but Monaghan's not healthy enough for that. Yeah. So I, unless he's like cleared in the next two weeks, I think that Monaghan path is done and your hope is going to have to be that he heals up in time for training camp and can give you something on the third pair and then you trade him and retain salary transaction for a better player yeah he's only got the one year left it sucks because the buyout is like is literally would afford them a top six winger in terms of like the, this cap savings they'd have from it totally well and and the manjipani shillington thing like those guys probably do take up most of the nine that you have left can you dump luchich's contract can 5.25 cap hit makes one million dollars this season now he's got a 10 team trade list i don't know if arizona's you, on that i think but. you can but i think you have to take cap space back so like i think you could clear three million well, i don't could think they get like clear nick, five and a half could they do some sort of a deal where they get like nick schmaltz back no i don't think so because i mean they should that would be awesome no i'm not not one for, I one, think, for one i, I, I think, mean i think sutter would i don't think yeah, sutter would have a ton of time yeah. for nick schmaltz but i just think they need they need you're right. They, well, need, they need one, one more, more top six winger, preferably like a right winger, yeah. um, to well, give them a bit more clear, pop. If you could clear the space for Milano or Rodriguez, that would be perfect. Yeah. Right? I yeah, mean, there's guys available still for sure. Definitely. But yeah. but yeah, I mean, the Monahan buyout, I'm not expecting that to be an option for yeah. the Flames at this juncture. Um, the Lucic thing, I think there's a realistic path to that. But I think, you know, like just, just to give an example, not, obviously these teams aren't going to trade with one another. This trade would never happen. Edmonton's not going to re- re- reacquire Milan Lucic. <laughs> but, like, could you do Lucic for a, a player like a Warren Fogel who's got, like, two years on a worse, smaller contract that right. would then open up $3 million in space? Like, yeah, I yeah, think yeah. you could do something like that without, um, without even surrendering additional futures, right? Like, there's deals like that to be done that would also open up the space you need to go get a middle six sort of lotto ticket. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know whether it's guys like, like Dubé or potentially like moving one of those defensemen. Like, I, I think if they wanted to get like really aggressive in terms of improving offensively because they have so much to work with from a defensive foundation, I think they could do it. Um, Me too. But I think they're probably going to be... Ha- like They might make another signing, if, especially if they can get Rodriguez for cheap or something. My but, view, though, is if you're Calgary, I think you don't worry about the top six and, you, and you're sort of trying to do third third line improvements over the course of a, of a season. And I don't think you need like the Chris Drury model shows us, <laughs> you know, like you can do that relatively affordably in season, in my view, you know, right. like, yeah, certainly. there's going to be players like a Vetrano or a Milano that are available. There's going to be not the top center on the market, but the third best center on the market who you can get for a conditional pick. Um, they also just acquired a Schwint and a, and a pick, right? So yeah. it's like they have additional asset Resources, capital yeah, to play sure. with. I think you can basically redesign your top, your bottom six in midstream. We saw Colorado basically build that fourth line over the course of the season with the Obey Kubel waiver claim, um, the Andrew Cogliano yeah. trade, right? I mean, you can't, obviously, Tampa Bay rebuilt their third line in midstream too. So yeah. I, again, I think if you're a team like Calgary. Yeah, it's a good problem to have. Don't worry about it. Just don't worry about it. I think you what you're hoping what you're hoping for is that Monahan shows enough that you can find a way to either move him or use him. And your plan is basically to manage your cap space carefully and and rebuild a third line in 
you know, in media res as the season goes along. And if they can do that, they're going to be really good. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I legitimately like right now, if you go to a Vegas sports book, you'll see them at, you know, three, 3.25 to one to win the, um, to win the Pacific, yeah, which is like just better odds than the LA Kings who are like 3.75 to one. Right. And, um, worse odds than Edmonton and Vegas. And yeah. to me, that's like, you know, I don't want to say I don't want to be such a degenerate that I call it free money, but if I bet on hockey, which I don't, I would find that extremely tempting. Yeah, their baseline is so high because even on nights where they don't have it, like they're just not going to give up. Like they, is, they might win what's, two. What's one, their worst case scenario defensively? Well, top five, five. Top five. Top five. So, so if you're a top five defensive team, how good do you have to be offensively to make the playoffs? Just like you can be twenty second. Yeah. In goal scored, and they're going to be probably better than that. Yeah, and they're going to have like Huberto, Lindholm, and Anderson on the power play, like moving the puck around. I mean, again, the top six you go Huberto, Mangiapane, Lindholm, yep, Backlund, Toffoli, Coleman. Coleman. You're telling me that's not an above average top six? It for sure is. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Yeah, it's going to be a good team. All right, we did an hour and 20 minutes on this trade. Um, I think we needed it though. I needed to talk it it through with you. When it came out on Friday night, I was having a few beers and I was like, oh, fuck. (laughs) (laughs) all right back to work i go and and because i found out when you texted me because you texted uh, me to book me for this pod yes and then and then you texted me and you were like now we have something to talk about Uh, and i was like oh i better (laughs) and then i told my wife yeah and she was like hubie she's like very Uh, upset so yeah well (laughs) well you call him joe and she calls him hubie so yeah there you go very telling um (laughs) so you're gonna like this so this is actually gonna be the last show that i'm recording before my break I pre-recorded a show with our buddy Cam Sharon. Nice. We're going we're gonna to run after He's this one. He's making his uh, return. Media return. First time you're going to be able to hear him give off his bad takes and he did he, did he have some bad ones? You, I don't know. Okay. You can listen and judge for yourself. Yeah. No, he was great. He was great. And, and I'm looking forward to having him back and, uh, and speaking publicly as opposed to awesome. snide text messages. Um, so <laughs> I'll give you a chance to, to plug some stuff here on the way out. Sure. No, you're taking a bit of a break yourself, right? I'm taking a bit of a break. So, yeah, uh, yeah I mean... I've got one more VanCast dropping this summer. Nice. So uh, look for that this week uh, at the Athletics Podcast Network. And then uh, I'll be writing all summer at the Athletic. I'm not really taking time off from writing. I'll still like yeah. plug away at two, three articles uh, a, you know, a week uh, for a bit. And then I'll take a few weeks in August off and it'll be great. But um, yeah, find me at the Athletic. Find me at Thomas Trance on Twitter. And thanks for having me, man. Always a pleasure. Love it. I'm looking forward to having you back on next season already. Uh, quick plugs for myself. Just please go rate and review the show wherever you listen uh, to the PDO cast. And, uh, and after this, listen to the, to the show with the Cam Sharon as well. And, and hopefully that uh, helps hold you over. You enjoy your summer. And Our whole friend group on the PDO cast. And we'll be, exactly. <laughs> maybe, who knows? Maybe we'll be able to, all three of us, talk at, at one time at some That'd point be great. together. That'd be really fun. So, Thomas, enjoy the, the rest. The Oh, the unexpected goals. Enjoy the rest <laughs> of your off season, and, uh, and we'll chat soon. Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDOcast.